Well, would you give Pastor Randy, the, the band, all the tech team a big hand, let them know how much you appreciate them tonight? And would you go ahead and welcome our online audience that are tuning in as well? Did that around 6 o'clock, those who are watching. Let's give them a hand. Welcome them to this evening's service. You know, I think so often I'm so grateful for the heritage that I had growing up as a kid. Uh, I started a church uh, going with my parents and really my, my mamma, as I called her, papa, and aunts and uncles when I was about four or five years of age. Uh, prior to that time, the best that I can recollect and hearing their stories is although they were good, hardworking people, um, my family really didn't have a huge uh, church background. Uh, other members of the family had, but I think members of my own family, again, immediate aunts and uncles and grandparents, just sort of drifted. Again, good people, but not seriously devoted to Christ. And all of that changed when I was about four or five years of age. And uh, some of you, you know, this will uh, conjure up in your mind some things that you maybe remember if you've been going to church for a long, long time, as, as I did. And I grew up, most of you know, in Atlanta, Georgia, and I attended from the time I was a little boy the Assembly of God Tabernacle, Southeast Boulevard, Atlanta, Georgia. I remember it. A lot of things I remember about that. I, I remember that the church was in walk, walking distance of the federal penitentiary. I'm not kidding. I'm not making that up. And uh, that, you know, just unnerved me a little bit as a kid, just, you know, if there's a breakout. Hopefully they come to church, but not while I'm here. You know, I just… And so I had that going through my mind. And I remember in those days… I remember in those days, some of you may remember this. Do you, anybody here remember the days when the crowd on Sunday night was actually larger than the crowd on Sunday morning? Any of you remember those days? And that's how our home church was. I mean, um, Sunday night was let it rip, let it happen night. I mean, it was, it was going to be just uh, a tremendous service. And there's things about that that I remember. Again, this is quite new to our family. I do remember in those days, I remember this, although it was so long ago, I remember it like it happened yesterday when I would come with my family. And in those days, when I went to church, we had a large church even in those days. And so we had Sunday morning children's church, but we, we didn't uh, really have like we do at our church, blessed to have like Sunday night kids church. So all the kids came in on Sunday night. And I can remember some Sunday nights, I'd walk into church, and uh, some of you may remember this as well. It was always in the center aisle, and the aisle was probably about as long as the aisle here, and about midway back, there'd be a movie projector uh, set up, and there'd be a reel on that movie projector uh, about this big. And, you know, I, I knew the practice after a while. Tonight was going to be scare the devil out of you night. And, and it generally worked for me. It, it guaranteed my parents that I would have about two weeks of impeccable behavior, it didn't really do a whole lot to help my sister. She remained mean, still is to this day. And uh, I, I remember that so vividly. And we'd just, and I'd be like, oh my, this, I'm, I'm mean. I'm going to sit real close to my parents or my grandparents because this is going to get really scary for the next few moments. Another thing that I remember, and again, I'm not kidding, uh, because church was sort of new. I can remember most every Sunday night on the way to church, there's, there was a convenience store uh, located near the church, and my family would pull in. And we would get all kind of candy, candy like you can't believe. And we'd just sit in church, and a whole row of us, big row, and we all just had our individual candy. And uh, long before I even knew that there'd be like a theater kind of church, we had like theater candy right in the middle of church. And I remember that like it happened yesterday. I also remember that in those days on Sunday nights, we had a lot of illustrated messages, a lot of those. 
And I can remember some of those. I was real small. I can remember we had one, the evangelist who was preached the whole time from the cross. And I didn't know I was going to be a preacher at that time, but I loved to preach, didn't know how to preach. But my family just going along with it. We'd sit down. My little sister would sit at the end of a little uh, coffee table, and she'd be playing the organ or the piano. And Sister, you know, Sister Mayo, you know, she was going to be. That's what we called her, Sister Mayo, because our pastor's wife was Sister Mayo. And I was going to get up, and, and I would just preach my heart out, four or five years old. It wasn't too many years ago that my memo, she passed away in January. Today's her birthday, matter of fact. If she was still alive, she'd be 89 today. She passed away just a few months ago. And I can remember going over to her house, and she said, Jeff, you're never going to believe what I found. I found, because she taped everything. She said, I found one of your messages when you were four years old. She said, let's listen to it. I said, well, this is going to be interesting. Now, I'm, this is about how it went. It, it was Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God, 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 God. I mean, deep, profound truth. And that was about the extent of it. We gave the altar call right after that. So we had these illustrated messages. And so, you know, after I saw this one, uh, I just was so insistent. My family actually had to uh, construct a cross. And uh, so I tried to hold this little cross while speaking into the makeshift microphone, and I was just preaching away, illustrated message, um, preaching away. I stumbled while I was preaching and fell back on the cross. I don't remember this. All my family tells me this. I stumbled, fell back on the, on the cross, and let a little word fly that little boy shouldn't say. And immediately the anointing was gone out of the room. But on one night, there was an illustrated message, and there was a devil. Oh, boy. And the devil came busting through the back doors of the church. And when he, and my, my memo, I love to tell this story. When the devil busted in the back door of the church, I ran up one side of my papa, and I, I ran down the other side, and I got as close to him, and I would have ran as the devil came in, I would have ran out had they not been held t- uh, holding on to me tightly. And that's like, you know, that would mess up a little kid. And so I'm like, okay. And again, that would straighten me out for a little while. I want to talk to you tonight, not because I enjoy giving any airtime to the enemy, because I really do not. But the fact of the matter remains, if we deny his existence or his activity or his scheming or how that he operates, it does not nullify the fact that he is indeed real. You know, I was thinking about it, you know, over there a few moments ago and not really thought about it while I was working on this message, but even sports teams prepare for their opponent. You know, if you know that you've you got a game coming up, you study film, you look at the players, you know what they do, and so you, you sort of look at your opponent so that hopefully you're, you're going to be able to win the conflict, the battle, the game. And I want to start tonight uh, with a prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and we're all familiar with it, but a lot of times, quite honestly, at this stage, for most of us who have been following Jesus, we read through it, we've read through it a gazillion times, and so we don't pay a whole lot of attention to it. Some time ago, I started doing that, just sort of looking and studying phrase by phrase, and spent a lot of time in my personal devotion doing that, because I wanted to, you know, if this was so important that it was called the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus gathered his followers together and said, hey, you know, they're saying, teach us how to pray, and Jesus is like, okay, you really want to know how to pray? And they're like, yeah, we really want to know. We know that you go off and you find these places of solitude, you get along with God, and even before the sun rises, you're in these places and you're praying, hey, we'd like to know how to pray. And Jesus, if you're serious about it, I'll tell you how. 
And they're like, we're serious. And so Jesus lays it out for them. And so I just started looking again in my personal devotion time and study. I just started looking at this sort of phrase by phrase. And they're going to put it up on the screen. Let's take a look at it. But we're going to focus tonight on really the last portion. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This then, Jesus said, is how you should pray. You pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And that goes back, we know, to the Old Testament, uh, the revealing of matter today. We need daily bread. We need daily provision. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. But I want you to look at this last portion because I want to use this portion, and I really believe this is going to be so helpful. I want to take some of the things that I've learned, and I want to just share it with you and just believe that it's going to be helpful for you as well. And then Jesus wraps this prayer up. He says, and this is how you close it out. And you pray, deliver us from the evil one. The Bible has a lot to say about this. And, you know, it would be nice, somewhat consoling if, you know, like my experience with my first encounter with the devil in church as he came running into the back of the church on that night. It would be nice if that was about as bad as it gets in regards to the evil one. However, We know that he is much more dangerous than that. He is much more serious than this and our conflict with him. And again, I don't don't want to spend a lot of time on this first portion because I want to get into more of the pragmatic, the practical things that I think are going to be helpful to us. But it's important that we know how it all went down. Uh, Most of you would know. Some of you maybe would not if you're fairly new to church. And for the longest time, I didn't really know how it all sort of came out. But originally, Lucifer, as he was originally called, Satan was a very powerful angel. We know this in God's original creation. But we also know, if you've ever really looked into this uh, somewhat deeply, we know that it was his pride and it was his ambition to seize God's throne, to seize God's kingdom, which actually caused God to kick him out of heaven. And we know, if you've ever studied the Scripture in detail, you know that when that happened, when he got kicked out of heaven, in essence, what happened, sin entered the world. Sin was introduced into the world. And when he was cast out of heaven, the evil one, when he was cast out of heaven, so were a group of angels that he had enlisted to join him in his rebellion against God. In fact, I want you to listen carefully. It's not on the screen, but listen carefully to what one Bible scholar has written in regards to this. He writes, Satan is now the ruler of a powerful kingdom standing in opposition to the kingdom of God, our enemy, and the enemy of God. The scholar goes on to say he is the head of a vast compact organization of spirit beings, his angels. And as the prince of the power of the air, he skillfully directs an organized host of wicked spirits in the heavenlies to do his bidding. And I've thought about that so many times. You know, the the evil one Although he's powerful, he's not all-powerful. He's not omnipotent. There's nowhere in the Bible where you're going to find that he's like uh, omnipresent. He's not everywhere present. You know, chances are, and, and again, this is my thought on it. Some of you maybe are a lot smarter in this regard than I am, but I don't know that you or I are ever going to actually have a, a conflict with, like, the devil himself. He's not everywhere present. Probably when we, and we'll talk about this a little bit deeper into this message, when you and I are being affected by the evil, and probably not the devil, but one of his uh, emissaries who are working in collaboration with him. Now, the word devil actually means this. I think this is important because it really fits his personality. The word devil literally means, do you know what it means? It means 
slanderer. And that's important to keep in mind, slanderer, and that is exactly what he does. He slanders us. Isn't it unique what he does? He slanders us before God, and many times slanders God before us. Have you noticed this? I mean, all you got to do is go to Job. And Job, you know what it says? It says Job was like the most righteous man on the face of the earth. And, and who, who does the evil one go before God and accuse and slander Job? Like the most, and so he's like accusing and slandering Job before God. And he does that. Hey, God doesn't, you know, slanders. Well, God doesn't really care about you. God, you know, is busy with other things and your little old problems, your circumstance. You know, uh, God's not really tuned into that because he's got other things happening on a much larger scale. And so he is the devil, literally meaning he is the slanderer. In fact, when you look that up, a slander actually means this, any false and insulting statement, any statement which without due cause has the result or is intended to have the result of bringing its subject into disrepute. So keep that in mind. The evil one, as he's sometimes called, when you look at that term, the devil, literally the slanderer. Now, the title Satan has a totally different meaning. The word Satan actually means adversary, adversary. And both the Old Testament and the New Testament reveals him as the adversary, listen, listen to this, of not only God, but the purposes of God that God wants to execute in the world. And he is an adversary to that, an adversary to God and his purposes in the world, but also uh, an enemy of every single human being. So, when, again, you're just studying, the Bible says so much about it, we're not even going to have time to get to uh, tonight, but among many other things, trying to, you know, rebel and, uh, you know, go after the throne of God, the kingdom of God, in addition to that, he not only wanted to usurp God from his throne, from his place, he, according to the Scripture, longs to be worshipped. If you can imagine this, and you know this, a lot of you do, you're familiar with it, that Satan desires to be worshipped, and this is like, I mean, he had already crossed the line a long time ago. But can you imagine when he comes before Jesus and Satan is just so intoxicated by all this power and what he wants and how he wants to be treated and worshiped that he even tries to entice Jesus to worship him? If you can imagine, that's like so utterly ridiculous. But we know that happens. Matthew 4, 9, the devil said to Jesus, not to a follower of Jesus, but to Jesus himself, I will give you all of this if you will bow down and worship me. So he wouldn't only, you know, try to get people. It's like, hey, I'll even attempt to get Jesus to worship me, if you can imagine how ridiculous that is. So what I want to do for the next several moments is talk to you about really a couple of things. What is God, God's ultimate plan for the devil? Uh, and it's not good for the devil. I'll, I'll just give you that uh, as a heads up. Can Satan, in fact, really be defeated? And some of you are like, you know what, Satan is just so strong, so powerful, and he's just tempting me, he's just messing my life up, he's always, he's doing this and that, and I'm never going to be able to overcome, and we'll talk about that too, because you can overcome the words of the devil because of something that Jesus did, and I'll get to that. And how can we keep from being blindsided by the evil one? So uh, let me give, just give you, walk you sort of through it, just some of my own discoveries, because I think if you understand it, it will be helpful to you. One of the things right out of the gate that we need to understand is this. Hell was actually prepared for the devil. Hell was never prepared for people. I run into people, you run into people. I can't even imagine why a good God would send people to hell. I don't, I, why would God, you know, and, and you've heard the arguments, you've heard all that has been said. And, and I just want to go on record as saying, personally for me, as I've studied the Bible, I don't think that hell was created for people. I think hell was created for the devil. 
I love this story. It's been around so long that you've probably, most all of you have heard it, but I brought it with me anyhow. It says a young woman returned home early from a date with a long look on her face. She was very upset. Her mother asked her what was bothering her. The girl explained, well, my boyfriend just proposed marriage to me. Her mother asked, well, what's so bad about that? That sounds really, really, really good. The girl answered, but when he proposed marriage to me right after that, he also told me that he was an atheist, and he said there is no way he could ever believe that there was a hell, and she was really upset about it. But the mother consoled her daughter, and this is what she said, don't let this bother you, honey. Marry him anyway. With a little time in between the two of us, we'll show him what hell is. Okay, that's figuratively, not literally. In the very beginning of time, God declared and had planned for, think about this now, the fall and destruction of the very one that had caused the fall of human beings. And you go back all the way to Genesis 3.15, and the fall that entered into the world and all of that. And so from that point forward, God, again, in His omniscience, already knew that it was going to happen. But, but that God would declare the fall of the destruction of the evil one when sin entered the world. Now, according to the Bible, Satan was, and most of you know this, was not only cast out of heaven long ago, but in the future, we know this from the Scriptures, that he is going to be imprisoned in the bottomless pit, and then after a thousand years of that, or after the uh, millennium, and we're not going to get into the whole idea of eschatology and the doctrine of last things tonight, but after the 1,000 years, Satan, the devil, will then be permanently thrown into the lake of fire. And you're like, Jeff, do you really believe that? And I'm like, yeah, I really believe it. You want me to tell you why I believe it? Because the Bible says it. Look at Revelation 20. Look up here on the screen. Look at what it says. This is God's Word. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven having the key to the abyss. You may be saying, well, this just sounds way too far out there. I'm telling you, I believe this. The key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years or the end of the millennium were ended. After that, he must be set free for how long? A short time. Just a little while. All right, skip down. Let's look at verse 7. Still, same chapter, Revelation 20. Look at this next portion. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched out across the breadth of the earth and surrounded, look at this now, and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. Look at this next portion, the city he loves. Okay, it's, it's, really, it's really coming up. Um, but fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Look at this now. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown already. They will be tormented day and night. How long? Forever and ever. So not just a short while now. He's going to be released for a short while, go out to deceive the nations. But this time, I'm happy to tell you, when God locks him up, he's going to lock him up permanently forever and forever and forever. Matthew 25, 41. It's not on the screen, but it speaks of everlasting fire that was prepared for the devil and for his angels. 
So when I see like that, everlasting fire, prepare for who? For the devil, for his angels. So that's why I tell you, fundamentally speaking, I, I don't think that, that hell was created so that, you know, it would be populated by, I think it was created so that the devil and false beef, uh, false prophet and beast would all be cast there. However, having said that, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but according to the scriptures, people will actually occupy hell. And that's tragic. That's tragic. That's so sad to think, it, uh, think about it. It's so against everything that Jesus bled and died for. But it, yet it's going to happen, and it's going to happen because really people in their own hearts, against everything that God has desired, against everything that God sent Jesus into the world to make a sacrifice to spare people from hell, people will populate hell because they have defied and rebelled against God. You see, because every time that God invited them into a relationship with him, every time the Holy Spirit, I love this verse, nobody can come to the Spirit, nobody can come to God unless the Spirit draws them. So a lot of times a person says, and well, meaning, but I just made a decision. I just made a decision that I'm going to give my life to, to Jesus. And that, you know, in essence is true, but the fact of the matter is, according to Scripture, that person never would be able to have the capacity to make a decision to come to Jesus had the Spirit not already dealt with their heart and drawing them to Jesus. And so again and again, the Spirit was drawing people and will be. And we know that this had happened throughout history and will continue to happen where the Spirit is constantly drawing people to Jesus, but people just say, no, no thanks. I, you know, I've got other plans. I've got a, you know, I really want to do this. I want to, and just keep saying to the very, listen, to the very end of their life, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks to God and His awesome plan of salvation. Now, in speaking concerning that, I want you to look at this statement from C.S. Lewis. This is very interesting what he says. C.S. Lewis, he said, I willingly believe that the damned are in one sense successful rebels to the end, that the doors of hell are locked on the inside. And then he says something very interesting. How could a loving God send sinners to hell? He doesn't. They volunteer. That's not God's will. They volunteer. Look at another statement, not C.S. Lewis this time, but Max Lucado. A lot of you are familiar with him. Maybe you read some of his books. He said, accuse God of unfairness? Question. Accuse God of unfairness? He has wrapped caution tape on hell's porch and posted a million and one red flags outside the entrance. To descend its stairs, you'd have to cover your ears, blindfold your eyes, and most of all, ignore the epic sacrifice in all of history. So the fact of the matter is, and I believe this, I don't believe that God created hell for people, but I believe people are going to be in hell. And that's, and that's why as a church, we've got, to, we've got to do everything. And, you know, I hope you don't mind. I'm not trying to start anything, but if it starts something, so be it. We get so cozy and comfortable in church that we forget that people are actually dying every day and going to hell. And we're busy. And you know why we're busy doing it? We're doing, busy doing a bunch of church stuff. But we're forgetting that there are people that are far from God. We forget. We look at people that we work with and like, hey, you know, uh, John here, he's just, he's sort of a wild guy. And this, oh, man, she's just, she's a case. And, and we just look at these people. And a lot of times we don't even lock eyes with them and consider that they're lost. And if they don't receive Jesus, they're going to spend eternity in hell. And that ought to grip us. But I think sometimes, honestly, we're, we, we forget that. 
And we're just so caught up in what we've got to do and all. And, and I, you know what I pray? I pray that that would begin to grip us as a church as it has never gripped us before. And we'll start doing everything that we can to share our faith and to get people to church so that they can hear about the wonder and the love and grace of God and the Spirit draw them to Jesus and heaven be their eternal home rather than eternity in hell. So the Bible speaks to this, I believe, that it was not God's intention that people would populate hell, but nevertheless, it will happen. Here's another thing. This is what I found in my study. I'm not going to spend much time here, but this was interesting to me that I had not seen for a long, long time as a Christian, and I'll just uh, give it to you, and I'll just give it to you in a statement, and I'll show you a couple of verses. Jesus died on the cross for, we know, to pay our sin debt off in full. We know that. But did you know that he also died on the cross to defeat the devil and his plans? See, for the longest time, I didn't do that. You would say to me, for the longest time as a Christian, knowing God, loving God, uh, being a Christian a long time, you'd say, Jeff, why did Jesus die on the cross? I'd be like, are you kidding me? That's children's church. Here's why Jesus died on the cross. And primarily, this is the reason why Jesus died on the cross, to pay our sin debt off in full to take everything that we'd ever done. And Jesus said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. If you will come to me, the Bible says this, we know it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and he cleanses us from what? All unrighteousness. And Jesus says this, if you will come to me, if you will give your life to me, if you'll let me steer the direction of your life, hey, I got a deal for you you can't refuse. I'll not only forgive you of your sins, I'll actually forget your sins. Isn't that anybody here needs some sins to be forgotten by God? And so the problem is never God forgetting what we've done. It's we, we can't forget what we've done oftentimes. And so if you were to ask me, Jeff, what is the reason Jesus died on the cross? I, I'll tell you. We want to pay our sin debt off in full. But then I got to read, and again, in this study that I was doing, and uh, another reason I came to understand, Jesus died on the cross so that um, he would give to us the power to stop sinning. A lot of times people said, um, you know, I, I just can't do it. I can't make it. Uh, Paul, for one, said, you know, where we're weak, God makes us strong. I was talking to a guy not too long ago. He said, uh, and this is, and I know his heart was right, and he's struggling with a huge problem in his life, and I'm not making light of that, a huge addiction, but, um, but this is what he said. I, I pray that God, this is, you know, not verbatim, but it's real close. I pray that God would cause me to stop doing what I'm doing. And I'm like, okay, right, we need to talk about that a little bit. Say, God has given to you everything at your disposal so you don't have to do this. There's no temptation taking us, but such that is common to man. And God will not allow us to be tempted above what we're able to bear. But in all things, what will God do? He'll give us a way of escape. No matter what we're locked into, we're like, God, you know, and like this guy, I, I, you know, I just, I don't have a chance. Oh, listen, there's always an exit door. We just don't always take it. And so he gives us, when Jesus died on the cross, not only to forgive us of our sins, eradicate our sin debt, prepare for us a reserved spot in heaven, he said, through my death, I'm also going to give you the power to stop sinning. But here's the next portion that I've not seen for the longest time. I died so that I may demolish the works of the devil. See, I'm going to put him away forever one day, but until such time, I'm going to demolish the works of the devil. How do we know this? Look on the screen, a couple of verses. I'll give them to you. Hebrews 2.14. Look at this. We are people of flesh and blood. That is why Jesus became one of us. He died 
And I don't know how I missed that, but he died to destroy the devil who had the power over death. So the longest time, I would be like, okay, that part of it, you know, I think, I think deep down I knew, but I hadn't really considered that as deeply. Hey, Jesus died not only to forgive me. He died to give me the power in my life to stop sinning, and he came to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8, look at this next verse. Told you I was going to give you a lot of scripture. The person who lives a sinful life belongs to the devil because the devil has been committing sin since the beginning. And here it is again. The reason that the Son of God, that Jesus came, appeared was to destroy what the devil does. And this is so important for you and I to realize. Listen, I want to encourage you tonight. I want you to get this. I want this to resonate with you. I want it to be something that you just hold on to in your heart, in your life, in your activity. And it is this. Satan does not, irregardless of what some people may feel, Satan does not have an undefeated record. He has lost every single confrontation that he has ever had with God. He's lost every one of them. Every one of them. And so we could be like, well, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm just destined to be defeated. Oh, no, you're not. And he doesn't want us to understand what, what God came into the world, sent Jesus into the world to do. Now, here's another truth I want to give you. And you know this, but I want to just remind you of it. And that is that God will protect us from the evil one. Isn't that good to know? You're not fully exposed. You're not at a place where, you know what, I don't have any guard. I don't, I don't have any chance. God will protect us from the evil one. Now, this is Jesus speaking here, and I want you to look at it on the screen. John 17, 15, this is what Jesus said. He said, Father, I don't ask you to take my followers out of the world. I don't want you to take them out. Don't extract them. I want them to be left in. Keep people out of hell, really. But I want you to keep them safe from the evil one. Now, how many of you know that heaven's going <laughs> to could be a lot better than it is right here on earth. And sometimes we wonder. I was thinking about this recently. I don't know where I was. don't even know why it was dancing around in my brain. But I was like, you know what? And I shared it with somebody uh, because they were walking through a struggle. And I said, you know what? I said, the reality is if everything on earth was always great and wonderful, you and I would not have this innate uh, sense within us, uh, this longing for heaven. If everything was perfect here on earth, how many of you know, we wouldn't necessarily be getting all that excited about heaven because everything would be like great and wonderful right here, right now. And there's that longing that we have in our hearts for heaven. And Jesus said to the Father, he said, listen, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. In fact, I want to leave them in the game because they've got a job to do. They're a mission. They're on assignment. But God, this is what I want you to do. While they're in the world, and this is a promise that God has given you, while they're in the world doing our work, I want you to keep them safe from the evil one. Now, I don't need to tell you this, but I'll go ahead and tell you uh, anyhow, the evil one hates you. I hate to inform you of that, but he hates you. He hates you. You say, really? That seems awfully strong, all right? He doubly hates you. He hates you. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons why. He, he despises the joy that you have, a joy that he himself forfeited a long time ago. But I'll tell you one of the primary reasons why the enemy hates you and I so is because you and I are made in the image of God, and he hates God. See, because you belong to Jesus, the evil one. I mean, for that reason alone, he hates God, he hates Jesus, and because you belong to Jesus, he hates you. 
In, in fact, I want you to read this next verse with me. This is 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3, so we know it's Paul talking to some believers in Thessalonica. And this is what he says. Let's all read it together. Help me out. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. How many of you know that's a mighty good news? So, he's going to protect you. So, you don't have to, you know, you got to be wise, and we'll get to that. We got to understand what we're up against. We'll get to that, and it won't take us very long. But the fact of the matter is, we're protected by God. Now, with that said, I want to give you a little insight here, and that is that we must always, according to the scriptures, we must always be aware and awake concerning Satan's schemes. See, again, I don't, I don't like giving him any airtime at all. But the fact of the matter is, that does not halt his existence. And Paul even talked about this. One of the primary things that the evil one does is he actually traffics in deception. Deception. You and I might would say that he has a PhD in it. It is his specialty, deception. He wants to deceive us concerning many things. He wants to deceive us who he really is. He wants to deceive us concerning what his purpose is in the world. And he wants to deceive us. He doesn't want us to consider what we just previously mentioned, and that is his coming defeat at the end of time. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 says this, not on the screen, but this is what it says. Even Satan, think about this, can disguise himself to look like an angel of light. You know, when, when the devil ran into church on that Sunday night, he looked like the devil. Everything that I thought the devil would look like as a little boy. He had on a, a fiery red suit. He had horns. He had big, long tail, pitchfork. Again, he ran in. I wanted to run out. But how many of you know he's, he's not walking around looking like that? He disguises himself. My daughter's uh, 21. She has uh, two cousins, my brother's son and my sister's daughter, and they're all 21. When we moved here uh, back in 2000, obviously she was three years of age. When we moved here, our oldest son, Brent, was a senior in high school. He, uh, we moved here, I think it was October. He graduated that following summer. And so my brother and his family were driving down for the graduation. I still laugh about it every time I remember this story. So they're driving down for the graduation, Brent's graduation. And so they've got mom, moms with them. And so they're all riding together. And all of their dress clothes are hanging in the back seat beside my little nephew in his car seat. So all these nice, and they've just come casually. They're going to get their change. We're all going to the graduation. So they stop at a store to get some stuff. You, you remember I said, my family's always stopped at convenience stores for, you know, candy or whatever they get. So they hand this rascal in the back seat. Again, he's about three years old, maybe four at the most. He's sitting in this car seat kind of thing, and they give this kid, this honorary kid, a big gulp. The big gulp is bigger than he is. So they get back on the road, and they're riding down the highway, and from the back seat, again, my little nephew is in his little seat. My mom is on the other side of the back seat. My brother's driving, my sister's-in-law, and they hear in a loud voice, and I will quote this verbatim, this is what my little nephew, about four years old, says, no, Satan, I'm not going to do it. No, Satan, I'm not going to do it. Now, how many of you know if you're driving a car, that'll get your attention right there. I'm like, 
<laughs> and they're, they're strong. I mean, that'll get your attention. No, Satan, I'm not going to do it. And my brother calls from the driver's seat. He said, Brad, what are you talking about? He said, Dad, and he's holding this big gulp. Satan just told me to take this drink and pour it all over these clothes. Now, do I believe Satan told him that? No. Do I believe one of the evil angels told him that? No. I believe he's an honorary little brat, and he thought about doing it, and he just needed to have an alibi in case he did it. You know, I didn't want to do it, and it wasn't my plan, wasn't my intention. I wanted to protect these nice clothes because we're going, but the devil made me pour this big gulp. <laughs> Fact of the matter is, there's a lot of things that you and I do that we give the evil one credit for that he had nothing to do with. Because within us, there's this propensity towards sin. We're fully redeemed, but we're also too acquainted with our fallen condition. And it's so easy. You know, I, don't, I, don't, I can explain it away if I don't have to take personal responsibility for what I do. Oh, no, I didn't want to do that. Didn't plan on doing that. The devil made me do it. No, Satan, I'm not going to do it. And then we do it, and we try, and we're the ones who actually did it and probably wanted to do it. What I'm trying to say to you is this, when the devil or his angels set you in his sights, he is not going to confront you as the devil or with something that smacks of pure evil. It will be something that is alluring and inciting and adventurous and enticing, and it will be so creatively done, you may not even recognize what he's doing. That is why we find this in 1 Peter 5, and so Paul weighs in on this, James weighs on this, now the Apostle Peter weighs in it, and this is what he said, so I want you to be on your guard and stay awake. Your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion sneaking around to find someone to attack, but you must resist the devil. I'm going to talk about that at the end, but you must resist the devil and stay strong in your faith. You know that all over the world, the Lord's followers are suffering just as you are. One theologian has written this, as far as the saved are concerned, Satan is in continued conflict with them, tempts them, and seeks to corrupt and destroy their testimony and even their physical life. Now, you may have not really considered this very much, and again, I hate giving airtime and I hate telling you this, but it's a fact, and it needs to be mentioned, you are actually a target. I hate to tell you that, but you are. You're a target. This is why the Apostle Paul, he weighs back in on all this. This is why he says this. Read it with me. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 2.11. Let's read this one together. Help me out. I don't want Satan to outwit us. After all, we're not ignorant about Satan's scheming. So be wise to it. Expect it. If you're a target and it's headed your way, don't be surprised when it happens. Be wise concerning so many other things. I want to say about that, but we need to wrap up. But I want to leave you with one final thing to mention before we're done. The Bible is very clear about this, and it's we must not yield any ground to the evil one. We can't afford to. It's not on the screen, but Ephesians 4.27 says this, don't give the devil any opportunity to work. Don't give him any opportunity to work. And uh, when, again, I was doing this sort of self-study and just trying to, okay, what's going to help me? How can I help others with that? And just doing that. And that sort of thought sort of came later. Wow, I, you know, how can I now use this to help? And so I was thinking about this, and the only image that I could consider was when uh, Brenda were very, very small. 
and uh, we'd be, we'd be uh, playing, and we'd be running through the house. It was hard in our house to have a rule, no running in the house, because if dad is running in the house, it's hard to tell the kids, you can't be running in the house. So I ran in the house. They ran in the house. We ran in the house. And, and you say, when did you stop? I still run in the house. I do. I'm not kidding. I still run in the house. Generally, it happens on Saturdays in the fall, and like the scores go in the right direction, and there's this explosive play in the right team. Like God's favorite team scores a touchdown, I run, I run through the house still to this day. So when we would be running through that, I'd be chasing them through the house. And we'd done this so many times that I knew how it would happen. I'd be chasing them. They'd be running for everything they've got, laughing, running, and I'm chasing them, running through the house. Shouldn't have been doing it, but I was doing it, running through the house. And here was the deal. They knew that if they could get inside of the room, get the door shut and locked before I could get to the room, they're safe. Safe. Dad's not going to be able to get us. But here's the thing. If I ever got my foot in the door just before they could shut it, and it's all over. I'd block, I'd block the door, being shut and locked, and then, you know, the game on. And what I'm saying to us tonight is, don't even give him an opportunity to put his foot in the door. Because if he gets his foot in the door, as hard as you may be pushing against it, he's going to be pushing all the more. Because again, let me tell you, he hates you. He wants to destroy your life. Thankfully, God came to destroy the words of the devil. Is the evil one strong? He most certainly is, but he, we must not exaggerate his power. He is strong to only those who yield to him or give him ground. So I'll leave you with this thought. If you're an authentic follower of Jesus, he has no power over you because Jesus has already defeated him. He's defeated by Jesus on the cross. And that is why James, now he weighs in. James 4, 7, look at what he says. He says, so give yourselves completely to God. That's where it all gets started, really. Give yourselves completely to God. Stand against the devil. Maybe you've read this verse a million times and you've just missed this last portion. And the devil, what? (laughs) Run from you. And we don't see that. You say, well, I'm, I'm running... Devil came in that Sunday night. He ran in this way. I wanted to run that way. And we don't ever think about God has given us such power and authority in our life that if we act in the way that God wants us to act and we live in the way and we have the power of God that God wants to manifest in our life, it's not about us running from the devil. Listen, it's about him running from us because he is defeated now and for all time because of what Jesus did. You believe it? Let's give Jesus a hand. You stand with me. We're... We're done, but I want to pray with you before we're, we're over, and then we're going to have some altar workers here at the front, and we want to pray for you. But I just want to ask it to you in this way, and I'm so serious, and I know that we've had fun, and hopefully we've learned something. Hopefully there's been something that has happened to help us to be prepared to stand against the evil one. But this is what I know, and this is how I really felt that God wanted me to end this time together, by asking you simply a question. What area of your life is it that you need to resist the devil? In what area of your life do you need to resist the devil? And probably for all of us, we need to resist the devil in some area of our life. It's not all going to be the same. We're so different. We're not made up the same way, same temperament. And so an area where you may need to resist the devil is an area that I'm unaffected by. The area where I need to stand my ground may be an area you're saying, you're kidding, that doesn't even affect me. And I'll say it to you this way. 
Some of you need to resist the devil because you've got an addiction in your life. And God wants to break that. You're saying, no, I've, I've had this so long. You know, Jeff, man, I've, I've, I've been addicted to pornography for so long. Jeff, I've been a, addicted to over-the-counter medications for so long. Jeff, I've had this addiction, and I, I don't want anybody, and I come to church, and nobody ever knows about it, and I'm just hiding. Listen, resist the devil, and he will flee. Some of you say, addiction, are you kidding? That's never, you know, addiction to pornography or, or you know, uh, prescription medications or alcohol or nothing. But where you may need to resist the devil is when you're tempted to gossip or when you're envious or when you're jealous or when the truth is not completely told. See, we all have to resist the devil in some area. How you resist it may not be the same, but all of us. You know what? This is what we see. If he would confront Jesus, what what makes you think he wouldn't confront you? So would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes in this moment? I want this to be so powerful and so liberating in your life because you're going to win because God's going to give you the power to win. But if you just say, Jeff, you know, even, even during this message tonight, even during this time right prior to this prayer, I, I, th- I thought of an area in my life where I really, really, really need to res- resist the devil. And would you just lift up your hand and let me pray for you right where you're at. Just lift it up. An area of your life where you just say, I need to resist the devil in this area. I need, to, I need to stand my ground, resist the devil, and he'll flee. So let me pray for you. Father, right now, we thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for everything that you've made possible, that you sent your son. God, you sent your son, Jesus, into the world to forgive us of our sin, to give us the power in our lives to stop sinning, but also to defeat the words of the devil. God, thank you that we're under your protection. Jesus, you said that you didn't want to take us out of this world. You just want the Father to protect us while we're in the world so we can do your work. While we're here, we're protected by you. So help us not to run from the devil. Help us to live such powerful lives that the devil wants to run from us. And help us to resist him standing firm in the faith. Because it's not about our strength, but about it's your power and your might on our behalf. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And can we give Jesus another hand clap of praise in this place tonight? We're just about done, but I want to open the altar. Maybe you want to come and pray with somebody. Maybe you want somebody to agree with you. And you'll just be open and vulnerable. And that's not easy if you've got something to hide. But you just say, hey, I'm struggling with this. You maybe not even have to name it. Just say, hey, I've got an addiction. Or I'm, I'm having a struggle with this in my life. Or I'm... You know, you don't even have to name it. So maybe you'll come. Maybe you need healing in your body, and you just need to claim God's healing power and provision for your life, whatever it is. Maybe you just need encourage. You're lonely. You're depressed. We're not going to take long. The band's going to sing for just a moment, and we're going to pray, and we'll be gone. So would you come as they sing? Thank you, God.
We have an amazing God, don't we? A God that is powerful and supernatural in every way. If you haven't come yet and you want to come and be prayed for, somebody to agree with you, it's not too late to do that, and you can come even after we do this benediction. But I want to end it a little bit different way, and uh, I'm, I think it may be on the screen. I think the guys have it, but I want, to, I want you to see some verses, these last verses, and we're going to be gone. Look at these verses up on the screen. Ephesians 6. I believe they have them. Here you go. This is what we need to claim as we leave this place tonight. Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Can you say amen to that? In his power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers, the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then look at this next part. It's really coming up. I promise it is. I'm not kidding. It's really coming up. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. So be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. God will give you everything you need to be victorious. Do you believe it? I love you. Have an awesome week. We'll see you back here Wednesday.